glad for all of you that are in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. Hallelujah. And we want to turn your attention this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Didn't you enjoy that choir and this anointed worship? Appreciate their hard work and preparation for this service today. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we begin reading in verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. That's the dichotomy that is so interesting. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness and then almost as a postscript that is added by whose stripes ye were healed for ye were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls something really supernatural took place at Calvary that allowed us to be reconciled back to our creator the shepherd, the bishop of our souls. And I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the miracle of the stripes. The miracle of the stripes. Would you bow your heads and let us pray together. Lord, we are thankful to be in your house, thankful for the opportunity to worship you. You've already blessed us, Lord, with your presence, and we are humbled by that, Lord. We ask you now, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word. Help us, Lord, to speak your word without fear or favor, and we'll give you praise Everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The nature of the stripes applied to the back of Jesus to provide us healing has always been a mystery to me. How does the stripes being applied to the back of Jesus bring us healing? What is it about our sickness that is made whole or that is nullified by the ripping of the flesh of Jesus. Because when they laid the stripes to his back, it was, as is oftentimes referred, a cat of nine tails referring to the multiple strands of, of rope and leather and, and all that was then attached within pieces of stone and rock and glass and other sharp uh, instruments that would rip the flesh. And so as these uh, whips were applied to the back of Jesus and then was snatched and drugged across his back, there was a ripping of his back. And of course, then open wounds and sores and then the next stripe behind that. Why did the cutting of his flesh bring healing to our flesh? That is the question that caused me to research this subject. If you look in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 25, the law is giving us very specific instructions about the judgment of sin. It says in verse 2 that if a person be found guilty, he shall be beaten before the judge with stripes. But verse 3 says, not more than 40 stripes, because if it is more than 40 stripes, the person executing the judgment would be considered vile. And so that became the rule, that became the law. And even Jesus was beaten 39 times. They would beat them the maximum, and oftentimes in the word you would see that, 40 save one. And history even tells us the same thing. But Whenever you read in Deuteronomy, when this law was set in place, it says that they were not allowed to beat them more than 40 times or 40 lashes across the back. 
Otherwise, the Old Testament says the person executing the judgment would be considered vile. This was the Old Testament version of cruel and unusual punishment. There were limits to the punishment, but there was also a demanded action that was necessary to offset the wrongdoing. It was, as you were, a leveling of the playing field. This leveling agent was stripes. It was suffering. It was punishment. It was pain. But it was pain with the purpose of healing and restoration. The next verse, verse 4, goes on to say that we are not to muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. In other words, don't kick a horse when he is down or more to the point, don't hinder a working animal. The next verse then goes into specific instructions about how a kinsman redeemer should work. If a man have a brother and his brother is married, but this man dies before he has children, then the living brother should raise up a child with his brother's widow. And the name of that child would carry on the name of the man that had died. Not the name of the man that was the kinsman redeemer or the natural father, but rather the name of the household that had been disrupted by death would then be restored by a kinsman redeemer. It is very interesting to read how this law would then be enacted because if the man who was the next in line, the next of kin, the brother, if he was not interested in doing so, then the Old Testament law says that the widow should go to the elders of the city in the gate. And when the elders call the man to ask him if it is true, and he confirms that he has not interest in redeeming this household that has been disrupted by death, that the widow would go up to the man in the gate of the city, in front of the elders and in front of the general public, and she would take off his shoe and spit in his face. And the entire city would know him and his house as the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. This is what Deuteronomy tells us became the law going back many thousands of years. Now, it does not look like all of these things fit together at first glance, but the secret in understanding how that we are healed by his stripes is in understanding how all of these things relate to each other. The common denominator is this. When something does not go right, whether it is sickness or it is sin or it is death, there is a resolution. There is a remedy. There is a fix. And I come to tell you today that there is a God that levels the playing field. When the purpose or the plan of a natural process is hindered, how does the law resolve it? If it is a wrongdoing, if it is a sin, then the law says that the resolution is that the person be beaten with stripes, that the price of redemption is the stripes or the punishment of this lashing. That is the justice that is enacted to resolve the imbalance. Because any time that there is sin, there is an imbalance. Any time that there is sickness, there is an imbalance. Any time there is just injustice that is perceived through death, there is an imbalance. There is a void. But then Deuteronomy immediately says that it has to be within limits. Otherwise, the pendulum swings to the other side and it is off balance again, but this time in the other direction. So there were all of these stopgap measures that were put in place so that the balancing of an injustice would not swing to the other side. For the law of the stripes, it was the limitation of 40 times. That is why 
everyone was beaten only 39 times, including Jesus. It was against the law to beat them more than 40 because that would make the punishment vile and the purpose of the punishment was to bring justice into balance with the wrongdoing, not create a greater imbalance on the side of justice. This is similar in nature to our affirmative defense in criminal law that is commonly referred to as self-defense. If someone threatens you with a paper plate and you shoot them, your self-defense argument will fail. Or if you feel threatened and you leave and you come back four hours later and the threat is over and you beat the living daylights out of someone... Your self-defense will fail because self-defense must be proportionate to the threat and it must be responsive in time to the threat. So if you're a big old 300-pound man and a little old 100-pound woman dripping wet says, I'm going to scratch your eyes out and you proceed to take up a club and beat her, Don't stand before a judge and say, it was self-defense. I felt my life was in danger. It will not work. Because the response must level the threat, not be used to justify an overreaction. The verse about the ox being muzzled further illustrates the point of balance. And then the kinsman redeemer law is similar In that it was created to fix a wrong. The purpose of the people getting married is to have children. And to carry on the name. But then something happens that's unexpected. Like the man dying. And the purpose of that union is frustrated. Then the law had provided a remedy. A next of kin would step in to fulfill the original purpose of the union. Man was originally created, ladies and gentlemen. And when I say man, I'm referring to mankind. Man was originally created for the purpose to worship God. That's why when you and I assemble ourselves together in the house of God and we lift our hands and we lift our voices, there is a sense of everything being in its proper place. Now the enemy knows this. That's why he'd rather you worship the Miami Dolphins today or he'd rather you worship the Jacksonville Jaguars or he'd rather you worship Aerosmith or some rock band or worship some figure of Hollywood. He knows you were created to worship, so he tries to replace your worship. But can I tell you today that none of those things will ever satisfy the longing of your soul. It's not until you worship your creator, the original designer. The one who created you in his image. That there is a sense of balance and purpose that comes into place. And you say within your soul, it is well, it is well within my soul. Because everything comes back into balance. And so you and I were created to worship God. So when we worship God, we are coming back into that original purpose. When you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you see why God originally created Adam and then Eve, it was for the purpose of being in fellowship with God. We were designed to be in fellowship with God, but sin thwarted that purpose. It stopped the original intent from being fulfilled. Sin entered in and then the fellowship that you and I as human beings were created to be in harmony with God That purpose is frustrated. There is a division that takes place. And you and I can't be in fellowship with a holy God because we have this sinful nature. And so there was a gap. But the good thing about God is that he anticipated that there would be a gap. How many of you know God's ahead of you even before you mess up? So there had to be a leveling. And Paul describes it in the book of Romans as there had to be a propitiation or a equalizing agent. Something that would come into place. The Bible says that in the day that you sinneth, you shall surely die. So death entered the human race. You were not originally created to die. 
and neither was I. And so everything originated from the point that sin came into humanity. You were never created to be sick because death is just the ultimate act of sickness. And so sickness and death and all of it originally came from sin. It was injected into the human race. And so death stopped the purpose from being fulfilled and the purpose of the name being established on the household of God's family, which was the human race. It was originally designed so that the name would be established on the household of God's family. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, he told Moses and later Joshua to take off your shoes for you are standing on holy ground. He was saying that you cannot save the nation of Israel by yourself. So take off your shoe because there's coming a kinsman redeemer. You are standing on holy ground. You are not worthy or able to redeem the nation of Israel. But there is coming a kinsman redeemer who's going to accept the responsibility and is going to purchase. He's going to purchase the lost tribe of Israel, that that has gone astray. This is why when Jesus came, he first came to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. This is why he told the Syrophoenician woman that it's not your time. He said that it's not for you to eat the meat that falls from the master's table. Of course, her humility and her desire for the things of God caused him to have to immediately reach out to her and to change the whole timetable. But God was saying that he was the only one who could redeem the seed and raise up a name. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had to be God robed in the flesh. He had to be God manifest in the flesh because he was uniquely positioned to be the kinsman redeemer. He and only he could make the necessary redemption. Only his blood, my friend, could save us from our sins. And so this whole thing is acted out. When you read the book of Ruth, you'll find that Ruth had lost her husband and she did not have children. So the next of kin had the responsibility of raising up seed. And so Ruth goes with her mother-in-law back uh, to the Canaan land area from Moab and she meets Boaz. And she is out there gleaning in the corners of the field where Boaz is a rich man and has many fields. And so her and her mother-in-law are falling upon hard times. And so she's out there gleaning and Boaz sees her and recognizes her and is attracted to her and says that you can come into the house and and he tells the people that are are reaping the harvest to leave a little extra out there in the corners where you'd go around and and so you know Ruth would have plenty and she goes and she tells her mother-in-law that she's been out in the field and she's bringing home all this barley and all this harvest and and Naomi says where are you getting it from and she says I'm I'm getting it from the fields of of Boaz and she says oh Boaz and she says yeah and you know, she tells her mother-in-law, you know, he's kind of good looking. I like Boaz. And Naomi, the Bible says, was pleased and said, the man is, now this is important that you get this verbiage, the man is near of kin to us. Boaz is one of our next kinsmen. All right? He's near of kin to us. He's one of our next kinsman. In other words, he's in line, but he's not next in line. Hello, somebody. How many of you know God's got the answer for you, but it just doesn't seem to be right in front of you this very moment? God, I know you're going to do it one day, someday, somehow, but right now it doesn't seem like it's next in line. I still got this to deal with tomorrow and I still got this situation facing me. And so she says he is one of the next kinsmen. He is in line, but not next. And so he wanted to redeem Ruth and marry her, but he also wanted to do it right. Oh, there's a message in that. You can't get ahead of God. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. But you can't try to fast forward the process. This is what got Abraham in trouble. 
You've got to make sure you allow God to fulfill it in his time. So Naomi instructs Ruth what to do, and Ruth goes and tells Boaz, you know, that she wants to be with Boaz goes to the gate of the city with the elders, like Deuteronomy had instructed, and he presents the case to the man who is next in line. And he starts out by saying, now, you understand that Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband, you understand that he died and his two sons died when they were over in Moab and, and, and they left some widows and, 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 and they're, they're childless and they had a field that he was buying. He presents it all initially to this man who is next in line as a business proposition. There was a field, you know, that he purchased, but there's still some debt left on it and, and you want to redeem that and pay off the rest of it and have the land. The man said, yeah, I'll do that. I'm the next in line kinsman redeemer and I'll be happy you know to to take the land and all of that and so Boaz starts out this whole negotiation by starting with the business proposition of purchasing the land the man says that sounded like a good plan he would take care of that and then he said Boaz said now along with purchasing the land you've also got to take Ruth because she was left a widow and her husband died and she is childless and, and we need to raise a name up on that household. So I'm going to need you to take Ruth also and raise up seed so that the name will continue. And the man said, I don't think so. I got a wife. I got a family. I don't need any more problems. Now you read the Bible, it's pretty clear right here. He said, my own inheritance will be disrupted. He said, now, you know, I, I feel bad about what happened to Ruth, but I got my own stuff to deal with. Boaz must have had a big smile come on his face. <laughs> and he says, all right, I understand. If you want to give up your position as the next in line kinsman redeemer, you don't want to mar your own inheritance. I would like to take the place. And so he says, okay. And he takes off his shoe, just as Deuteronomy, the law, had instructed. He takes off his shoe. And I don't know what else they did. They shook hands. The elders were there. They were in the gates of the city. He takes off his shoe. And it's done right. And it's done proper. But here's what I like about this story. There's no indication that Ruth goes up and spits in his eye. <laughs> in the Old Testament law, if you were the next in line, you didn't take up that responsibility. You were shamed. It's important that you understand this. But in this situation, there's no shame, there's celebration. Because one who is worthy and able steps in the place and becomes the Redeemer. To Ruth, who has lost a husband, I don't know what you may be dealing with. You may be dealing with sickness. You may be dealing with death. You may be dealing with a financial crisis. But I've come to tell you that there is a God who is willing and is able. And He can redeem you so that there's celebration and there doesn't have to be any shame but there can be a rejoicing because my God has stepped in and become a propitiation of my sins. So Boaz is then given the right to redeem the seed and establish the name. And Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And Jesus Christ is the son of David. So that every time that a lame man or a blind man would call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, thou son of David. They were calling on the kinsman redeemer. To heal them. They were calling on the kinsman redeemer. To step in. I don't know why I was born from my mother's womb lane. But I know that you've got power Jesus. And if you must speak the word only. If you'll just lay your hand on my head. If you'll just say the word. 
I shall be made whole. And so all of these people in the earthly times of his ministry in the gospels we read about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all called out to him, thou son of David, referring back to his lineage. Jesus literally came from a natural illustration of the kinsman redeemer being in place. But to level the playing field of their plight, they would call out to him to make everything right. Sin brought death and sickness into the human race. And then it passed down to every generation. And folks, sometimes we don't understand why bad things happen to good people. I want to tell you something today that everything that Job was accused of by his friends was true in principle. But it was not true about Job. They believed that Job was guilty of something, and this was why he was suffering. And they reasoned with Job, his friends now, by asking questions like, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the righteous ever cut off? Can you show me? They were right. But they weren't right about Job. And then his other friend, Bildad, the Shuite, oftentimes referred to as the shortest man in the Bible. Get it? Shuhite. All right. Bildad, his other friend, comes to him and says, Does God pervert judgment? And has the Almighty ever perverted justice? He was right in asking those rhetorical questions. That God is a God who levels the playing field. That God is a God who brings justice. They were right in principle. They were right in their theology. But they were wrong about Job. Woo, hallelujah. In other words, they were saying, are you trying to tell us that God's out of balance? And that if you're innocent as you claim to be, that he will forsake you? You've got to be suffering for a reason, Job. See, a lot of times people, they try to fit things in boxes. And, and your particular plight, it doesn't add up. People know that you're a good person. People know you had a good grandmama, granddad. People know you were raised in the church. And it doesn't add up. How could it be that you would suffer? You're a person that goes to church. You're a person that loves God. You're a person that worships. Why is it that your spouse would walk away from you? Why is it that your kids would leave the church when you raised them in Sunday school? There's a lot of things that we don't have an explanation for. There's an imbalance somewhere. There's an injustice somewhere. There's got to be a reason. That's what our human nature, nature begs. It begs for an answer. Why? 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 Same thing that happened with his disciples in John chapter 9. When they asked the Lord, who hath sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I love the response of Jesus. He says, neither he nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Disciples, in theory, you're right, but you're not right about this man. Friends of Job, you're right in theory, but you're not right about this man. Because there is a God. That's where Job had to finally get to. There is a God. That though my circumstance does not make sense, I trust in God that one day everything is going to make sense. And so the only thing I know to do is to put one foot in front of the other and to say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know that one day I shall see Him face to face. I don't know where He is. I go forward. He's not there. I look behind me and He's not there. He hideth Himself on the right and the left. But I trust that He knows the way that I take. And when I am tried... I shall come forth as gold. In other words, I believe that the purpose is going to be redeemed. They were right, but they were wrong about Job because you can be right about the principle but not be right about the application of the principle.
And so they were right in that God levels everything. But what they didn't realize was that Job was only in a temporary place. His immediate plight was not his destiny. Oh, I feel like preaching to somebody in this building this morning. People have turned and walked away from you because you've gone through a season of darkness. You've gone through a dry and thirsty place. And people have wondered and looked and questioned and scratched their head. You've got to go back and remind them through your consistent, faithful walk with God that though I go through a valley, it's not going to be my final destination. I'm going to come out of this thing. I know right now I'm having to just take what I can get in the corners of the field. But the Lord of the house has got his eye on me. And one of these days, I'm going to be redeemed. And I'm going to sit at the king's table. There ought to be a worship in this house if you recognize that this is what Jesus did for us. In the name of Jesus. You may be seated. Jesus was saying to his disciples, it was neither he nor his parents. Yes, there has been sin in the human race and it's brought about all of these sickness and diseases, but it wasn't him or his parents. It wasn't these direct individuals. There was a higher purpose. And the purpose was that the works of God should be made manifest. He's going through a struggle, but he's going to have a testimony that's going to come from his test. See, some of you don't understand. You want a testimony, but you're going through the test right now. You've got to go through the test to get the testimony. Come on, somebody. You've got to go through the struggle before you get the determination that no matter what comes against me I'm going to stay with God I'm going to keep on worshiping him and one day one day it's going to be obvious to everybody though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil because I've got a confidence that God's going to bring me through Jesus You and I may not understand the gap, may not make sense why we struggle when we've been doing right. We are told our entire life that if we do the right thing, that we will get the right result. But sometimes, my friend, you do everything right and life still throws you a curveball. It's not that we are exempt from trouble. But when trouble comes, don't give up on me because I've got a kinsman redeemer. He's going to make everything right. And the name is going to be restored. It's true without God, your future is limited. But with God on your side, Your blessing is not going to just be confined to your generation. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. I feel like telling somebody in this building, God's going to bless you in such a way that your generation and your life cannot contain it. It's going to flow to your children and your children's children. I love that song. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. The redemption was only complete when the shoe was removed in the gate with elders present. Only then could the name be restored so that every time a piece of flesh was removed from the back of Jesus through another stripe it revealed the nature of Christ to redeem because it was not going to be 
the flesh of Christ that redeemed us, but rather the eternal nature of the Spirit of God to redeem our souls. Ladies and gentlemen, God was all flesh and all spirit. He was all man and all God. The Bible said the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. He was born of Mary, but endued with power from on high. He was super and natural. He was supernatural. But with every stripe, the wrapper was coming off. With every stripe, there was a revealing that the kinsman redeemer was God himself. That's why you got to know that Jesus was not Jehovah Junior. He was God manifest in the flesh. And by his stripes, I am healed because there's a God in that flesh. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall, because I shall arise. There's the God of glory that's at work. So by his stripes I am healed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. All of those things was because of the unveiling of this eternal presence and power of God. Though he was robed in flesh, the flesh came off with every stripe. And the name was established with the redemption complete. This is why the name of Jesus was a part of everything that the disciples did after the resurrection of Jesus. Because the name was restored to the human race. That's why they went to the upper room and they prayed in the name of Jesus. That's why in Acts 3, they prayed for the man at the gate called Beautiful. And they prayed in the name of Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. What do you got? I got a revelation that the name has been restored. And that if any man or woman, regardless of your sickness, regardless of the way you were raised, regardless of what you're facing today, if any man or woman will call upon the name of Jesus, he will redeem you. Through Calvary, the name, the name is restored. Hope is restored. Help is restored. He turns to his disciples at the Last Supper. And he says, take and eat. This is my body that was broken. And this is my blood. Ladies and gentlemen, that broken body represented the complete restoration of the human soul. I know. My Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. All of creation testifies. Oh, I wish I could see. This life within me cries. I know my Redeemer lives. Oh, my Lord, when I first heard Nicole Mullins sing that song. We were all sitting around fancy dinner tables at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. for the presidential inauguration. And Nicole got up and got a microphone. And everybody in their tuxedos, looking good and smelling good, there to celebrate a presidential inauguration. And she opened her mouth and said, oh, God Almighty, I wish I could say, where's Brother Gary at? Come up here, Brother Gary Ellis. She started singing, Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? Who taught the ocean you can only come this far? Who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a fallen star? I know 
my Redeemer lives. Boy, she started singing that song, and it was so anointed. And all them tuxedoed folks started standing up. I got up in the middle of them and lifted my hands. And I realized why the anointing of God was there. Because that song reveals that the Creator is the Redeemer. Good God, I wish I had a witness in the First Pentecostal Church of Palm Bay, Florida. She said, I know the one who hung the stars. I know the one that orchestrates all of nature, lifts me up with his hand. Hides my shame. Come on, Brother Gary. Put that mic on. Oh, my word, I wish I could sing like you. And I know Good God My Redeemer Jesus He lives Yes Lord I know My Redeemer He lives Let all creation Testifies Let this life within me Christ, I know my Redeemer, He lives, oh, and I, yes. I know Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. my Redeemer lives, I know my Redeemer, my Redeemer let all creation testifies. Let this life within me cries. I know. He's a healer for my body. I know. Yes, Lord. He touched my mind, Jesus. I know. Yes, Lord. He can raise me up again. Yes, Lord. I know. He can heal my family. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I know. I know. My Redeemer. Crucified, lay behind the stone. Yes, Lord. You live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. Yes, Lord. You took the fall and thought of. Little old me, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Good God Almighty. I feel healing virtue going throughout this place right now. Every pew, every person. That's it. God's healing right now. Come on, he's leveling the playing field right now. Yes, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Earlier this week, I felt the Lord speaking to me and telling me that this Sunday morning we needed to take communion. And then he started putting this message on my heart. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. But in so doing, I want us to approach it perhaps like we never have before. When we take of this this morning, I want us to take of it in such a way that we are turning everything over to Him. Every question in our mind, every sickness in our body, every pain that has never healed from perhaps a lost loved one or a failed relationship. This morning we're asking you, Lord, to take every hurt and every pain. As we receive of this in remembrance of what you did, we're not here only to recollect of your suffering, but to recognize that the suffering was a remedy for everything that you and I are facing. And here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. You need to give your heart to the Lord. Or if you've got sickness in your body, perhaps you're here to stand in the place of an unsaved loved one. But there's a gap, there's a void, there's a need. And you believe that Jesus Christ can redeem that open wound, whatever it is. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out from where you're standing and I want you to come down and gather at this altar. Now I know it won't be for everybody. If you're here this morning and you're here to worship God, you can't point to a specific thing that you need Jesus to do in your life in a supernatural way. You can stay in your pew and the ushers will going to come out and serve you in your pew. That'll be okay. But for those that say, I need a supernatural touch from him today. Maybe there's some things you've been holding on to and you said, I got to turn it over to God. Or you're here this morning and there's something happening in your physical body, but you believe that by his stripes, we are healed. We're going to come down and we're going to receive this and we're going to do it. And we're going to say, God, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to make everything right. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I believe your word, and I believe, God, that you can take my dilemma, and you can turn it into a miracle. You can bring a testimony where there's nothing but right now a trial that's facing us. Come on, now the ushers are going to serve you. If you want to come out in the aisles, or if you want to stay in the pews, there's ushers that are back in the back. Whatever it takes, I want you to make sure you find it, because we're going to pray together. And then we're going to take the little wafer that's on the top. There's a little clear piece of paper that you'll pull back and you'll take of that wafer and then you'll open up the little plastic container and we'll drink of that. This is what Jesus instructed us to do. Thank you, Brother Eddie. And then we're going to receive this communion. Then here's what I want us to do all across this building, this great congregation of people. I want you then to lift up your hands and I want you to begin to believe like Job had to believe that my Redeemer lives. That's where that song comes from. It comes from Job 19. I know my Redeemer lives. He said, I don't know when, I don't know how, but there's coming a change one day. He already had a revelation of the resurrection. I don't know what you may be facing today. I don't know what you may be fighting today. But I know a God who is the kinsman Redeemer. Hallelujah. And he's going to step in and restore the name. He's going to step in and restore order. And everything's going to be all right. Hallelujah. It's up to you and I to say, Lord, I accept it and I receive it into my life and into my present situation. We'll make sure everybody has one of these. Is there anybody that's ready to receive communion? You've not yet received one of these little packets. Would you raise your hand? All right, Brother Eric, a couple here. 
Brother Mundy, Brother Tom right there in the middle, Dr. Myers uh, over here on my left. Ushers, you're doing an awesome job getting around to everyone. There's a couple right here in my immediate right here. We want to make sure everybody has, has a, a couple more that's right here. If you don't mind, let our ushers get through there. Doing such an awesome job. If you want to go ahead and peel back, there's two openings. The first one's a little more difficult because it's just a clear piece of plastic. Oh, yeah, the Holy Ghost is going to move. It's going to move. It is. That's the Holy Ghost. God's going to move. Everybody take out a little, uh, the little white wafer at first. We'll receive that. You just pull back the little clear plastic. I know it. Hallelujah. That's, that's, that's anticipation of what God's going to do. Does everybody, is there anyone that still is without? Everybody's good. All right, let's pray. And after we pray, let's receive communion. You ready? Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed. I thank you, Lord, for the price that was paid on Calvary. I recognize, God, that in our flesh we struggle with understanding why things have happened we don't always understand, why we're battling the things we're battling, even sickness that's in our body. But today, Lord, we receive this of you, not because we're worthy, but because we're obedient and because we believe that everything we need, we can find in you. And that through your broken body, our lives, our hearts, our souls are restored and renewed. And so as we receive this right now, Lord, I pray healing upon this congregation. I pray for every home and every family. I pray for every marriage in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would restore everything, God, that we can't do on our own. There's a gap, there's an opening, there's a void. But we believe you for the supernatural and for the impossible. And we receive it by faith today in the name of Jesus. All right, would you take the wafer now? Would you take it, place it in your mouth, then open up the little container, Jesus. And then would you drink of that cup? Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the blood of Jesus that heals us. I wonder now if you'd lift up your hands and your voices right now in the name of Jesus. And would you begin to shout with the voice of triumph. My Redeemer lives. Redeemer lives. Come on, whatever it is, give it over to the Lord right now. By the authority of the Word of God and by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and by the power of the name of Jesus. I pray for divine healing upon your people. Let every sickness disappear. I pray, God, for the salvation of every soul. Oh, in the name of Jesus, that's it.